made for autistic people, parents and carers of kids on the autism spectrum. This is a different brilliant with Orion Kelly. No two autistic people are the same. Open conversations that inform and engage a better place for autistic An aspect people. podcast focusing on the strengths, interests and aspirations of the autistic community. Welcome to a different brilliant. Listening to a different brilliant, I'm your host, Orion Kelly, and I'm autistic. A different brilliant is an aspect podcast made for autistic adults and parents or carers of kids on the spectrum. My purpose is to inspire, inform, and entertain you through focusing on the strengths, interests, and aspirations of the autistic community. And if you're not autistic but open to learning more, you have come to the right place, my friend. Open, honest, and engaging conversations on autism. A different brilliance with Orion Kelly. To learn more, catch up on the episodes, or send us a message. Like the Aspect page on Facebook, or visit autismspectrum.org.au. Now, on this episode, we explore autism-friendly practices and find out what autism-friendly actually means. My guest is Project Officer at Autism Friendly Australia, Matthew Ostler. Matthew, thanks for joining me. No worries. Pleasure to be here. Let's unpack this, okay? So autism-friendly services, I've heard of like movie sessions and I've heard of shopping hours and businesses and they all seem to be becoming more common. So could you explain to us what the idea of autism-friendly actually means? It's a tricky one because obviously uh, autism's so unique and different. You know, everyone... Um experiences the world differently. But obviously there are some things that, that people can do to adjust, adapt, accommodate, support people on the autism spectrum. We've recently been doing some literature reviews and some research into the topic of inclusion, um, which is obviously a big movement at the moment. And obviously we're looking at specifically the autistic sort of side of that. So we sort of discovered through that that inclusion is not just about people being in a setting or just people being there, just the presence. Uh, it's more about people perceiving themselves as belonging. So feeling like they belong, being themselves authentically and not needing to change anything sort of in order to fit in. So that's sort of the type of environment, I guess, that we'd um, like to try and create. And that can be both sort of physical and social. So, you know, obviously we can adapt to certain things. The, the sensory environment, for instance, but also more than that, it's uh, about awareness, understanding, people being welcomed and um, feeling like a valuable part of a setting or a community. So I guess a couple of things that would go into that, uh, maybe a higher level are the setting considers the individual needs of a person on the autism spectrum. So it's not just, you know, here we're autism friendly, we have a quiet hour and it's quiet. What else can we do to support individuals that come in here and understanding the unique needs of it, you know, each person? The second one would be that the environment matches the needs of, of the person. So again, those things are accommodated or adjusted or supported both physically and socially. And then the big one for me is that there's a culture and an, an attitude of the acceptance, understanding and belonging so that it's an actually sort of ingrained culture. It's really interesting when you when you talk about it because it resonates with with me on on different levels as in it's great that people are making an effort to be inclusive and i think you know we all have to applaud that but on the same level some of it can come across as 
either a bit patronising or as a token thing they're doing. Tokenistic. If you know what I mean. And I think For sure. the autism-friendly idea you've explained, and we now we kind of understand that it's it's very very much an environmental in thing, so you know, the environment can change or alter or adapt. But I'd love to contextualise it with some examples, maybe with autism-friendly and, and how it actually works, what it involves. Could you maybe help us with some examples of businesses or organisations you think that are doing it well and and what they're doing? Because you've mentioned a couple already in passing, shopping having an hour of quiet, dark time, which as an autistic man and an autistic father of a five-year-old autistic son, uh, I'm sorry, you know, supermarket chain, when am I taking my five-year-old autistic son to shopping in the first place? Whatever, seriously, I mean, honestly and truly. Yes, Um, and especially (laughs) in a weekday, you know, during the middle of the day. Yeah, or, uh, it doesn't necessarily work for everyone. No, yeah. exactly. Or at nine o'clock at night. Yeah, no, that's a great time for me, mate. No worries. I'll just, yeah. leave, the, I'll just leave the kids at home and wander in. Give us some examples no, totally. of, of organisations doing it well. Yeah, I think that's a really good point. And I think the interesting thing is obviously it's still it's a journey for a lot of people. They're going on trying to, to get better and, and so on. So I think it's still a lot of the time it is tokenistic. It is it's something that you know people just feel like they have to do or they should do or they want to do something nice and, and it's sort of the bare minimum. And I think there are some really exciting sort of initiatives or people that are really passionate about really doing a holistic, um, fantastic job of having a culture of sort of welcome and inclusion and therefore those those adaptations. We've been um, really impressed with the Gold Coast Airport um, recently. So they've just launched their hidden disabilities program. Uh, we did work with them. So it is sort of autism specific, but it's I guess what we've discovered throughout the process is that a lot of these um, things are really just helpful for people in general. Yes. Um, creating it, you know, <laughs> a, a nice um, sensory environment, a nice um, welcoming environment, uh, but also, you know, being able to find your way around easily, people being kind and patient and helpful. They're just nice things for, for everybody. And Gold Coast Airport have really done a good job of taking on board a lot of the framework or the, the ideas that we that we have. So I guess the first one is just First of all, having that culture and, and Tanya, who's sort of been running that there, has been very passionate about making sure that everyone's involved, uh, including even people that she's not necessarily responsible for. So the Australian Federal Police, the security handlers and and so on, uh, making sure that everybody is on board with you know the types of initiatives. And I guess it's also encouraging because from there, because of the training or the initiatives that they've received, you know, the Federal Police are interested because they have things to learn. You know, they could do better. The security guards can do better. And so from there, it's sort of it's a domino effect where other people go, oh, hang on, this is actually really helpful for a lot of people. Maybe we can get on board too. So, yeah, I guess with the Gold Coast, though, they've sort of taken, yeah, a big holistic approach. They wanted to do a whole, yeah, not just one, you know, quiet hour or something. So um, we worked with them for a while, uh, specifically on a couple of things. So the first one was um, preparation and predictability. So it's uh, letting people know what to expect and what they're expected to do before the fact. And they have a lot of people who maybe elderly people who are flying for the first time or people with dementia or obviously autistic people as well, who would benefit from being able to understand the processes um, you know, what's going to happen when I get there? Uh, what should I do? Uh, what can I expect? You know, where can I go if I need um, a place to just have a have a quiet time? So they've worked on sensory maps, um, which describe uh, sort of the sensory environment. So, for instance, the Gold Coast Airport have gotten rid of some hand dryers in one of the toilets near their, their, one of their main entrances, and they've made it a, a low sensory entrance and bathroom and a quiet room there. So coming into the airport, um, there's a nice quiet, um, low sensory entry. They've also developed a whole series of like animation videos explaining the process um, of what will happen 
at each stage of the of the journey. So if you're flying domestic, you can watch the domestic one and know where to go, what to do. And that includes a lot of behavioural rules or things like, you know, you can wear your headphones, um, you can, you know, use your stem toys or making you feel welcome and acknowledge that those things are normal and those things are, are helpful. So I guess it comes down to the preparation and predictability. So communicating with people beforehand what to expect and what you're expected to do. But that also then requires them to make sure that their structures, their systems and their visual organization within the, the space facilitate that. So there's consistency, there's understanding, there's good communication and so on. We spend a lot of time working with staff and training staff in autism-friendly practices, including the initiatives that they've put in themselves so that the staff have a really deep understanding of what to do to support people. That's, I guess, the most important one for me because obviously we can we can prepare and we can predict, we can organise the environment, we can accommodate for sensory issues, we can support communication, we can organise those sort of things. But if people aren't on board, it can't be dictated to them. Uh, everyone needs to sort of buy into that desire to support people meaningfully and, and connect. And again, that's something that the Gold Coast um, have done to the point where um, they've actually adopted uh, a system from the UK, which is a lanyard system based on a sunflower. It means that um, staff have badges when they're trained of a sunflower so that you know if this person's trained that you might be able to go to them for support. And we've got a lot of good feedback of people who've been going through the airport and trying the system. And, and I mean, I don't know if you fly very much, but the airports can be very stressful. And From my point of view, travel is always is always stressful. I mean, and, and I'd so, you know, being an autistic male and I've got an autistic child, you know, we love to go away and go on holidays, but it's obviously the whole thing's a stressful experience. But for me personally, the idea of going to the airport, getting through the airport, it's to me, it's like, it's like a massive list of steps I've got to get through that just overwhelms me. And I I go into more of the shutdown mode, if you know what I mean. And from my point of view, there is very little you can do. And when you have these programs, they're phenomenal. It's, it's such a difference to say, Hey, we'll just turn the music down for an hour. These types of programs are, are unbelievable. And, I've personally experienced it firsthand. Uh, I'm sure you're aware at Melbourne Airport have the Lanyard Hidden Disability Lanyard Program as well. Uh, they run it, I believe, at this stage only for international flights, though. From my point of view, that's clearly an issue. Yeah. I kind of don't understand. It's frustrating for me that, okay, so you'll help me if I'm flying overseas, but you won't help me if I'm flying domestically. Like, that makes no sense yeah. to me. I don't understand the logic there. But I still have to give them props for, give, for you know for, for doing it. And I think for me, the fear is I wear the sunflower lanyard or my wife wears one because traditionally the mums would wear them if they have a child with autism. And sure. you, you can get around the airport with these things and that's great. But then you, you get you, you just, just have to come in contact with one one member of staff at one point that just doesn't care or doesn't understand. or And then it's, totally. what's the what's the point? So you know, I just look like an idiot totally. with a sunflower around my neck. You know, so yes. yeah, it, it's, I think it's, you know, what Gold Coast are doing is is phenomenal. And I can tell you right now, I can, if you need someone to vouch for you, I can tell you right now, my friend, as an autistic person, love planes, you know, I absolutely love them, but it is an extremely stressful environment to be in. So this is this is the kind of autism friendly stuff that I can really buy into. This feels a lot more real to me than we'll turn the music down for an hour. I mean, yes. and and it's great that they're working with you and they and then they they take a holistic approach because as we've talked about, you, you can put a lanyard around my neck, but if the first person I come in contact with, you know, does the things that uh, that are going to affect me the most, well, then what's the yes. point of me wearing the <laughs> wearing the yes. lanyard? 
So for, for instance, a quiet hour, a quiet space, if staff don't understand that a quiet hour is designed to, you know, have low sensory so that people who might not usually be able to access it might be able to access it. If they don't understand that's the reason, then they might ask people to be quiet in quiet hour, uh, which is obviously defeats the purpose of the quiet hour, doesn't it? So th that's sort of my example of it, it has to be holistic. It can't just be a tokenistic, yeah. you know, yeah, we turn the lights down, the sound down and autism is sensory. No, it's not. You know, yeah. there's much more to it. <laughs> exactly. Um, and again, in fact, if we consider these things, so preparation, predictability, you know, how we organize the space and the structure of it, even uh, things like uh, behavioral expectations and the hidden curriculum, uh, which we, ha we haven't necessarily touched on, there's a lot that goes into, you know, going into a new environment, new space. There are a lot of behavioral rules that don't necessarily come naturally or, or aren't intuitive. Um, especially you know, if you go to the dentist or if you go to the hairdresser or something, it's, it's a completely different experience. And so yeah. if you don't know what to expect and what you're expected to do and why, and not necessarily having the avenue to be able to communicate that with people, it really just makes those difficult. Yeah, so I guess being able to consider those fully and holistically and people having a deep understanding of why this is important. And I guess that comes back to inclusion. It's not just that people now are in you know, a shopping centre but they also perceive themselves as belonging and being themselves and not having to change who they are to fit in. Well, that's the type of sort of environment that I'd like to live in. Yeah, and when, um, when belonging is one of the core issues of autistic people, the idea of I don't fit in, I don't belong, their entire life they live with that. It, it makes it even worse when you go into environments, you know, exactly as you say. For example, when I get a haircut, I wash my hair that day. I never get washed my hair because it doesn't work for me. I've got to lay down in an uncomfortable position. My neck's uncomfortable. Yes. and it, I get wet on my clothes. I don't like that, you know. Don't even start me on hairdressers fol folding yeah. your ears down. I don't know whether they have to fold your ears. Yes. <laughs> like, seriously, don't touch my ears. Anyway, it doesn't. Yeah. We're, we're, I'm, I'm ranting again. But the, the practice of autism-friendly services and environments, is it just me or is it becoming more popular? And how have you found the autistic community have been reacting to it? Yeah, it's interesting. Yeah, even talking to a few different uh, clients, say, for instance, councils and so on, they're noticing that there is – a movement, you know, we've spent a long time as a as a community and a society looking at physical disabilities. So now we have ramps for wheelchairs because people can access buildings. Uh, however, if there's a barrier, you know, like stairs, if we can adapt that, then uh, people with physical disabilities might be able to, to close captioning, for instance, deaf people. There seems to be a movement, and this is the feedback we're getting, towards hidden disabilities and inclusion, um, and autism falls under that. So uh, there definitely is a big movement. So even um, within businesses now, lots of people have an inclusion and accessibility officer. Yeah. So these things are being considered and it's still very early on. And I think that's what's, that's interesting because I think that some of the feedback probably from the autistic community, obviously people are you know excited about people considering these things, but still so far, a lot of it has been just a little bit, just a bit of, you know, just the tokenistic, yeah. you know, we'll do one little thing. And that's, again, not necessarily going to make a big difference for people. And in fact, it, it can be detrimental um, for the reasons we said before, right? And so I think there's, there's probably, hopefully, a quiet optimism. But I just guess that it still is early stages of, you know, trying to make Australia autism friendly or, or, or inclusive. Yeah. And so I think the, the patients maybe, you know, people have been patient for a long time and, and there's a lot of frustrations of not being understood and considered. And so I think there's a bit of both. I think people are excited, but maybe impatient. And it comes down to education as well. You know, for example, if, yes. they, if they want to put a hidden disability toilet access as the same toilet as physical disabilities, well, 
that doesn't make sense if there's a Dyson hand dryer in there that sounds like yep. a jet airplane taking off. It has to be an education and an acceptance by the wider community. And as you say, it comes down to patience. And as I say to you, I think I've been patient enough for the last half of, totally. my, half of my life. Totally. In the end, Matt, I've come to the realisation that I will spend my entire life living in your world, not mine. Not you personally, but, you know, yes. so imagine if everyone else on the planet had to accept the same thing. How would they react? It, it's one of those things that I think this is a really great conversation to have. And you're right, there's tokenistic and there's legitimate. So in your view, what do you think autism-friendly best practice would look like? What types of things would be offered? Look, I think um, one important thing is just continuous improvement. I think what we were saying before is just identifying that we need to keep getting better. And beyond that, I think the biggest thing is autistic involvement or being autistic-led, so co-production, co-presentation. Because I think historically, you know, a lot of programs, initiatives and so on, even with goodwill, uh, haven't included the people we're talking about. You know, From there, I guess, so preparation and predictability is, is the big one. Well, how can we organise things beforehand? How can we... Um, identify potential problems or you know potential positive supports how can we engage strengths and interests and see i guess autism as a different brilliant rather than a you know a disabling sort of thing i really think too when you were talking about a holistic approach and also uh, a complete buy-in that to me with yeah. best practice surely that must be critical rather than you know half the staff are trained the other half don't care totally i i think that's that comes back to the culture thing and i think that's sort of the thing we're trying to change and and that's you know, making australia autism friendly again is, is changing culture first is the way of thinking for all and for to me that comes from education um people understanding like if for instance at gold coast airport we had a lot of people who were in their, in their 80s who said they were so shocked and upset that they'd never heard about autism or understood what it meant before we presented with you know emma my my colleague and trudy who are autistic um and it was the first time they'd heard from an autistic person so I think there's a lot of it is just awareness and education, people understanding, oh, you know, there is something I can do. So that buy-in, I think, is the most important. Yeah. Um, but then from there, if we can train people or, uh, to understand, say, for instance, sensory things, maybe you don't just go up and touch someone. Um, if you're a security guard, maybe you can ask <laughs> for consent. Yeah. You know, are you ready for me to touch you now? Those sorts of things, I, think, I guess, if you can understand conceptually um, rather than, you know, don't don't touch people or autistic people are this way that depth of understanding i think is is the biggest thing the awareness yep. and even probably for autistic people too i would suggest a lot of people haven't necessarily historically been taught the wonderful benefits to being autistic um who they are and and then be, therefore being able to share that they haven't been allowed to you know necessarily engage with themselves you know on on that positive note and and, and understanding themselves so to me, I think it comes from that, that depth of understanding. And then from there, you know, if I understand that communicating with people beforehand and allowing time to process is helpful, then I can do that with everyone that I meet, regardless of whether they're autistic or not, because it's just a nice thing to do. So those sort of ideas can become ingrained in terms of how you think about what you do. Do you understand the kind of challenges we're, we're working against? This is obviously your your life. You know, what challenges are we facing in, in cultivating a more autism friendly world? I mean, there's probably a few. I think one is, is just trying to get away from what we've been doing. So for instance, you know, the traditional model of, of looking at autism as being deficit-based in the person. So there's the problem with the person. Again, trying to change that thinking to maybe the, the social model where perhaps there are, you know, the environment hasn't been built for autistic people. 
I would also suggest probably further than that, I think the environment hasn't necessarily been built for people a lot of the time. I think it's just been things built on top of each other, you know, as we progress. And so it hasn't necessarily been considered, how does it affect us? Does it work for us? You know, walking past the shops and there's a different song in each one. Saying in the shopping centre, there's six different songs playing and lots of people talking. I think that's overwhelming for a lot of people and, and heightens a lot of people. And so I think that, I guess, in my in my opinion, considering things at that human level, difference and diversity, and that these, these are beneficial for everyone, uh, will help a lot of people get on board with the initiative. But I think that, obviously, the most important thing is people understanding, again, you know, getting that message across, getting that depth of, uh, you know, the awareness. So TV shows, you know, education in schools, yeah, just meeting autistic people and having representation and building relationships. I think those are the most important things, but obviously those are the biggest challenges because, yeah, people are so time poor. People are so uh, set in their ways, not necessarily understanding difference. And I think there's a lot of movement probably in lots of social spheres of people recognizing difference and diversity. And I think that that will really be beneficial to making yeah Australia autism friendly. Matthew, it's been so good getting our heads around autism friendly services. We've learned so much and I really do appreciate your time. Thank you so much. No worries. Yeah, thanks for having me. My guest was Matthew Osler, Project Officer at Autism Friendly Australia. A Different Brilliant with Orion Kelly. Thank you so much for listening to A Different Brilliant. I really do appreciate it. I hope this episode has inspired, informed, and entertained you. And if the episode has resonated with you, please would you consider sharing it with your family and friends so we can reach more people. And if you'd like to continue the conversation, just like the Aspect page on Facebook or visit autismspectrum.org.au. You can also send me a message via my website, orionkelly.com.au. A Different Brilliant is an Aspect podcast focusing on the strengths, interests and aspirations of the autistic community. Executive producers are Lisa Cassidy and Dr Tom Tutton. I'm Orion Kelly and I look forward to celebrating the neurodiversity of autistic people and providing a voice for the autistic community on the next episode of A Different Brilliant. Thanks for listening to A Different Brilliant with Orion Kelly. An Aspect podcast on the strengths, interests and aspirations of the autistic community. Our door is open anytime. So like the Aspect page on Facebook or visit autismspectrum.org.au. My aim, make the world a better place for autistic people.